Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer that almost didn't fucking happen. <laughs> and you're going to be like, I'm Kenna. Be like, I was shitting my pants. <laughs> yeah. I am Kenna, though. And, and I'm Quell. Yeah, we just spent probably five minutes, well, I just spent five minutes searching through my computer <laughs> to find my research on this case, and it was nowhere to be found. Literally couldn't find it. Literally couldn't find it, and I was like, I autosave as I go, there's no fucking way that I don't have it on here. Well, I found it in the trash. I threw him away. I was gonna say, <laughs> tell him where you found it. I found it in the trash. In the trash. <laughs> But that's the good news about not having an automatic trash taker outer on my computer. Yeah. Is that it didn't delete itself. So thank God, because we would not have had an episode today. Right. I was going to say, we could just look up whoever it was together and then just make it up as we go. (laughs) The shittiest episode to date. Well, we weren't going to, like, not do something, you know? I mean, that's what was going through my head. We had to, like, do something. You know what we could have done? We could have, like, just gone in the archives and pulled out like research from like a, a case a long time ago and then just put this guy's name on top of it nobody probably would have noticed <laughs> like is it hmm, that common <laughs> that sounds an awfully lot like samuel little <laughs> what he did <laughs> anyway mm. hi everyone hi that was very scary that's never once happened yeah that's that's kind of creepy yeah anyway welcome back to another episode and welcome if it's your first time yes super welcome. excited to be back here with you guys hell yeah you saw The Little Mermaid today? I did. It was it was really good. I like that they made... I mean, spoilers, I guess, but not spoilers, because pretty much everybody's seen The Little Mermaid. But a lot of it was kind of frame for frame, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Some really iconic moments, like her collection area, that very specific rock that she sits on, and mm-hmm. the way that it's kind of illuminated under the hole that's at the yeah. top of the little cavern that she has. The Nigel Thornberry rock? E- uh, no, not that one. The oh. one that's where her collection area oh, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just that part, and it was really, yeah, they did do the smashing. They did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not what I think of every time I think of that scene. They did do that. They did do that, but they kind of gave Eric his own character development, which I really enjoyed, and yeah. it made him, like, twice as hot, mm-hmm. because you really kind of tried to understand who this guy was, and I think he's my favorite prince of all time now. There you go. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was very rewarding to see just the diversity in the cast and the way that they took this super seriously. Scuttle is actually a, a female representing voice in this one, instead of... It, I think it was just because it was a lot of masculinity, probably, in the first one, mm-hmm. where everyone was a guy other yeah. than Ariel, you know, <laughs> and, and Ursula. Yeah. <laughs> so it was cool to see that, that they introduced more female characters into it. and But it didn't feel like it was super geared towards just women, you yeah. know, or girls. 
And a lot of the action scenes my son really loved. So with all the ships and the drama and the fire and the, you know, <laughs> just, it was really, really awesome. And Melissa, Melissa, Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> yeah, Melissa McCarthy. She was really good as Ursula. Oh Obsessed. God, Obsessed. Cool. Well, I had like a little bit of a manic episode before this episode, <laughs> before this episode. <laughs> I wanted to re-pierce my industrial. Like, I had mm-hmm. my industrial pierced a long time ago. I had to take it out when I used to work at the Argyle. And I haven't had it in since. And that was back in, like, 2021. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm working in a new field with a new group of, group of employees, I they don't care if you have piercings. And so I yeah. wanted it back. And I got a needle all the way through, or, like, a safety pin, like, all the way through both holes. I got a regular earring all the way through both holes, but the industrial is, like, a gauge piercing, and I just, like, couldn't shove it, and it was very painful. Anyway, so I now have a regular earring. It's a little bit bigger than a regular earring in the bottom hole Mm -hmm. just for it to, like, hold space, but I'm probably going to get it tapered, like, not tapered, like a gauge, but I'll probably go to a shop and just have them, you know how they have, like, the spacer, like, they can put, like, a little bit of Vaseline on it, and they kind of push it through and, like, just make the jewelry go in. So, what was your industrial pierced at? Do you know? Where was it pierced? No. What what gauge was it pierced oh, at? Oh, it's a 14. Okay. Yeah. I might have a 14 somewhere. I have my original piercing. I couldn't get it through. Okay. Well, I also have 16s <laughs> as well. So, what I'm saying is a regular piercing is 18. Yes. Yeah. I have 16s because that's what all That's these what I are. have in my ear right now. I just is couldn't get to a 14. Yes. Ooh. Because... Give it a day I'm or two. I'm a pussy. Yeah, no, that's what I'm thinking. If I can't get it through myself, I'll just go. Usually, if yeah. you go, I've done it before, if they re- if they do it and they don't have to re-pierce it, mm-hmm. they won't charge you. Yeah. Especially, like, a nice piercer, and then I'll just buy, like, a piece of jewelry from them or something. With my gauges, when I first started gauging my ears, I would only gauge up if my gauge would fall out in the middle of the night, because I knew it was loose enough. <laughs> I would wake up and I'd be like, shit! <laughs> <laughs> but I knew it was loose enough to go up a size. Yeah. So. Well... Yeah, we're we're weird. We pierce ourselves. But That's true. When me and Cameron were piercing each other's septums, that was awful. Oh yeah, I tried to put my septum back in too, but it's not that it's closed, I just couldn't find it because my nails are too yeah. long right now. So whatever. She always kept Fuck hers. It. Mine was the one that was rubbing up against my sinus cavity. Oh yeah. Like right in the middle. And I just I sat there with that needle in my nose for like hours and it just was rubbing up against it was too Ugh. close. Yeah. Rubbing up against the cartilage right there. Oh, I miss my so septum bad. a lot, but Oh, well, the past is the past. Are you ready to learn about this guy? Yeah. Yeah. That didn't sound very confident. (laughs) Before we get in, do you want to share our handles for the new people that are listening? Sure. You can visit diagnosingakiller.com. There we have links to resources and merch. Buy some merchy merch. Get some t-shirts, some hats, some pillows, some drawstring bags. We've got magnets, stickers, a bunch of stuff. I might have already said stickers. Catch us on social media, anywhere at Diagnosing a Killer, other than Twitter, which is at Killer Diagnosis. And shoot us an email. Please shoot us an email, diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. We were just talking about the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival that is coming up in August in literally less than two months, and we are extremely excited. We were talking about the fact that we need to book our fucking hotel, (laughs) because we haven't done that yet. So true. But... We do want to thank our current Patreons as well as suggest people sign up for new ones if you are interested in ad-free episodes and a bonus episode every month on the 29th. Yeah. This month, it's a little early. Do we want to maybe hint at who we're doing instead of telling? Not at all? Not at all. Cool. You won't know until the 22nd. Cool. 
Oh, and we also have a potential DAK Live in the works, and well, not even a potential, it's probably happening. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have a new guest for that. We'll probably release that maybe next week to yeah. see who it is. Before the 22nd, that one will release, and then really cool something or other happening on the 22nd, and then you get that bonus case on the Patreon on the 29th. It's essentially going to be a three-episode week, so that's really exciting. That is really exciting. Two episodes on the same day. And then guess what? I was thinking earlier, next month, because I have the Patreon bonus next month on the 29th, Mm -hmm. it's Casey's birthday, so I'm going to let him choose my case. And I'm going to tell him it has to be really gory and graphic, because it's a Patreon only, Right. but I'm going to let him at least have a say in my case, Mm because if he chooses something we've already done, obviously I'm not going to do that. If you are new here, our Patreon's much like you probably gathered, Tier 2 and Tier 3 get an an extra additional bonus episode, which is content warning free, ad free. It is just straight case. So none of that extra mumbo and jumbo that we're doing right now. You don't get any of that. None of that. It's just case. I know this is the part that y'all really love, is listening to us give you all of our handles in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are we ready? We're ready. I will be surprised if you know this guy. Okay. Although I heard the, I heard about him on a podcast episode. I don't know how much like true crime podcasts other than ours that you listen to because I know you're usually None. on YouTube. But yeah, so you might not have heard about this guy, but you might have. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry if that offends anybody, by the way, but I do not listen to podcasts, which is funny. That's hilarious. We work on this. The only podcast I listen to is us. Yeah, I mean we're the best. So. I'd love to. It's true, we are the best. <laughs> it's true. I would love to listen to that chapters though. Mike yeah. from that chapter. Oh, I love his stuff. But I'm 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 totally a YouTube person because I like some visu- vis- visuals. Excuse me. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Content warning. This episode contains descriptions of graphic child abuse, kidnapping, mutilation of a person before and after death, graphic sexual assault, suicide, and serious mental illness. If this episode is not for you, we encourage you to find another one of our episodes. Remember, your mental health is very important to us, and we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. I told you it was a doozy. That is a lot. It's going to be a lot. So we are going to be talking about... I didn't even say his name. Usually we say the name and then we do the content Mm -hmm. warning. Joseph Callinger, a.k.a. the Shoemaker. No. But he was, like, barely known as the Shoemaker, so we're just going to call him Joseph. (laughs) Is it not Schumacher? I'm kidding. I don't know. It's the Shoemaker, (laughs) as how it's spelled. Anyway, Joseph Callinger. No? Does it ring any bells? No, I don't think so. Yay. That was my goal, so that you didn't know Is it. he UK? <laughs> no, he's American. Okay. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Joseph Lee Brenner III was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on December 11th, 1935. Okay. To Joseph Lee Brenner Jr. and Judith Brenner. So he's the third. The third. It is believed that Joseph was the only child of Joseph Jr. and Judith... And the two would raise baby Joseph for the first two years of his life. What do you mean believed? It was believed that he was the only child. Because his parents only raised him for two years. His biological parents. And then he got adopted. Oh, okay. So we don't know if they had any other children. Fair. In December of 1937, Joseph's father abandoned him and his mother, seemingly out of the blue, leaving Judith feeling as though she could not care for Joseph. I know. I actually lied. He was with his mom for, like, four years, but his parents together for two. But mm-hmm. still. <sighs> yeah, so it's, like, already, like... She's Tale like, oh, I can't as old as time. Yeah. She would put Joseph into foster care at just two years old, and he would stay in the system for another two years, his mother visiting him once a week during this time. Oh, wow. What a... Yep, what, what a lady. Age. So, yeah, she 
felt she couldn't take care of him on her own foster care, but she was still visiting him. It's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too, lady. Like, just well, either take care of him full time or put him in foster care. Well, she better be working like three fucking jobs while yeah, she doesn't have him, which well, exactly. I doubt she is. So it is thought that this is when Joseph would develop pretty severe separation anxiety as anybody would in this situation. Right. He would live in and out of different homes until he would eventually be adopted by Aust- Austrian immigrants, Stephen and Anna Callinger on October 15th, 1939. It's probably Anna, right? Not Anna. Anna. Sounds Anna. So, like, sounds Anna. so American. I know I always say Anna, but you know, Anna from Mitchell's is like, it, it's Anna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Joseph would not be adopted into a loving family. And instead, it was quite the opposite, which like really fucking sucks. Joseph would suffer horrendous abuse at the hands of his foster parents, including frequent floggings, beatings with a hammer, and being burnt with hot irons. What the fuck? So your mother thinks she can't take care of you, puts you in foster care, and you get adopted into this shithole? Like, That's fucking awful. It's terrible. Sometime in 1941, Joseph would overhear another child say the word fuck, and he would in turn use this word at home. In response to this... His father would beat him with a leather strap, and his mother beat him with a wooden spoon. The only reason you would fucking adopt a child just to beat the shit out of them is if you're a fucking... Monster? Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Like, I don't even... I can't even come up with a worse name. It just... That's ridiculous. That is somebody that is already experiencing either part of the cycle of abuse or has been abused or you know, mentally feels that that's how they get gratification somehow. And that's fucking disgusting. It's so disgusting. And honestly, like, it happens way more than we realize. I don't understand how it keeps fucking happening. Like... Because nobody checks up on the kids. Exactly. No one checks up on the kids, and there's not extensive background checks on the people that are looking to foster. Right. Maybe adoption is very, you know, serious and very detailed. Fostering, not so much. No. Every foster caregiver, I think, should go through a Psyche well. I completely agree. So just as a reminder, he got beat this time for using the word fuck at home. He was then grounded for a week, but he was never told what the word meant or why he was being punished for saying it. Is that his his account? Well, yes, but yeah. still. He was like, okay, sure. they never told me that word was bad, Yeah, so I have no idea why they're beating me, essentially. But again, I mean, he's young. He's, in a, he's probably five at this point, though. So. Yeah. Either way, fucking ridiculous. There's no good reason to abuse. (laughs) Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. This physical abuse was so horrific, in fact, that at the age of six years old in September of 1943, Joseph was taken to the hospital and underwent surgery for a hernia that he had developed as a result. At the age of six. That's awful. And nobody said shit. Nobody did anything. Nobody did anything. After being released from the hospital, Joseph's adoptive parents told him that the doctors gave him surgery to keep his, quote, bird small and make it not work. They literally, that's what they call this penis if no one caught on. They literally said the doctor made it so that you can't use that ever and it's going to be that small forever. Why would they say that? Because they're fucking horrible. (laughs) Tell me these people are dead or... Well, now they're probably dead, but tell me these people were fucking held accountable. Low-key, I wrote this research, like, probably a month ago, and so I'm, like, still, like, what the fuck? Like, every time I reread this, I'm like, (laughs) Jesus. I needed some time to, like, digest before I presented it to the world. (laughs) 
Although Joseph had to undergo surgery, the abuse would not stop when they returned home, and it seemingly got worse even once they got back home. Among the punishments endured back home were being whipped with belts, being locked inside closets, kneeling on jagged rocks, ow, engaging in self-injury, like they forced him to hurt himself, being starved, and even being forced to eat excrement. Why isn't this on the Patreon episode? This is brutal. I told you it's really bad. This is brutal. I almost did this for the Patreon episode, but I just, it's bad. I know. And that's why that content warning was so hefty. Yeah. In 1943, a seven-year-old Joseph stole a book of prayers from school, and when he got home, his parents would discover the book in his possession. They would punish him for this by making him kneel on sandpaper for an hour every night for, however, who knows long, how long, I mean. Yeah. Like, how do you come up with this shit? It's like, literally, it's like, who thinks of this shit? If I saw this in a movie, I'd be like, that's ridiculous. They're fucking demented. Yeah. It's disgusting. In early 1944, Joseph was hit on the head four times with a hammer by his mother because he had asked if he could go on a field trip to the zoo with his classmates. With a hammer? And he was seven? Yeah, around. When Joseph was just eight years old, he was reportedly sexually assaulted at knife point by a group of neighborhood boys. Oh, Jesus. It's like, it's, it just keeps getting more horrendous. Yeah. We're going to keep going. On Joseph's ninth birthday, he did not receive any presents from his friends at school, and he got very upset about this. I mean, he's nine. Of course. You're thinking of, um, what's his face? Popsicle. Popsicle? <laughs> well, not Popsicle, but... But Elliot Rogers. Yeah, Elliot Rogers. Rogers yeah. <laughs> Died on your birthday. Joseph was frequently rebelling at school and decided to cut everyone's coats while they were hanging up as punishment for them not getting him gifts, which is, like, Elliot awesome. Roger. <laughs> like, it's kind of awesome. Elliot Roger. I mean, at least he's not, like, physically harming anyone. But, you know, with but what he's, he's witnessing. Yeah, it's true. It's a little extreme for nine. Okay, but what he's seeing at home, yeah. like, no what, fucking wonder he's acting up at school. Yeah. You treat him like shit, like literal shit. It's true. He could have stabbed anybody with that knife, but instead chose to cut up coats. Yeah. In January of 1947, Joseph would begin stealing money from his parents and offering to take some school kids to the movies in an attempt to gain friendship. Aw. I know. His parents would shortly find out that Joseph was stealing the money from them, and they punished him by burning his fingertips on the stove. (gasps) Ow. Again. Like, again, where do you think of these things? I am not trying to victim blame whatsoever, but did he think that he wasn't going to get in trouble if he was stealing money? I, I think that he thought I'm going to get, I'm going to get abused either way. So I might, so as, might as, well as well just do whatever the fuck out. I want. Exactly. That makes total sense, actually. Which my next line is: This would not stop Joseph from stealing money from his parents, however, and he decided that the pain of burning his fingers was worth having friends, <sighs> which is really fucking sad. That's like Carl Panzram or yeah, some shit, Pansram. right? Panzram. Yeah. No, seriously, it's like, yeah, it fucking hurts when they burn my fingers, but at least I'll have friends because I took them to the movies. It's really fucking sad. That's fucking nuts. It was at the age of 13 that Joseph really began experimenting with different feelings of his. He would carve out holes in his bedroom wall that he would use for masturbation, and he would look at photos of both men and women sexually during this time. How do you fuck drywall? Doesn't that hurt? I would think that that would hurt. Doesn't I don't know. Hurt? I don't have a penis. True. Well, I've never fucked drywall. Like, email us. <laughs> Just kidding. Please don't email us. <laughs> Please don't email us. Jesus. Please okay. Don't, don't we do take that. back what we said. No unsolicited pictures, please. <laughs> Blech. 
It was during this time as well that Joseph began to realize that he was only able to achieve orgasm if there was a knife close by. And soon after, he would begin stabbing the photos to become aroused. So we can see where this is fucking going. Like, at 13? 13. But, like, I'm sorry, what the fuck do you expect this kid to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not you, but just anyone. Like, yeah. he's had zero love his yeah. whole life. He's 13. He obviously is being taught that if you love someone, this is what you do to them. So what the fuck is he yeah, thinking? Is there anything that, wrong? That's so true. You know, kids that have grown up abused, whether it be verbally or physically, whatever, they they come to a point to where they think that's what it you do when you love someone. Yeah. Yeah. I totally see that. <sighs> in, in July of 1949, Joseph somehow is able to convince his parents to send him to camp for two weeks. Somehow. While he was there, he was able to steal a scope off of a rifle and keep it as a souvenir. Great. Why the fuck was he that close to a rifle at camp? <laughs> He's hanging out. Seriously. Well, it was the 1940s or 1950s or something. And World War II was already going on or had happened already. So I don't think it's that uncommon for, like, 14, 15-year-olds to be walking around with rifles That's at true. camp, you know? But, no, I think it was, like, maybe, like, a security thing at camp and he, like, got a hold of it somehow. Like, it wasn't supposed to be with the kids. Yeah, but they taught kids how to shoot guns That's at a very true. young age then, is what I'm saying. True. So... After he stole this scope off of the rifle, ten days later, he's now returning home from camp. This is when Joseph can remember hearing voices in his head for the very first time. Mm -hmm. We hear that a lot. He claims that the voices were telling him to cut someone, and he decided to act on this persuasion as he boarded a bus with a knife. (gasps) He's like, what, 14, 15? Yeah. Once on the bus, Joseph spotted another young boy and decided to follow him after the boy had gotten off the bus. He caught up to the young boy and somehow was able to lure him into the woods, like, near a stream. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was like, hey, come see this cool thing, or whatever. Come see the stream. Yeah. <laughs> Once they reached the stream, Joseph held the knife at the boy and demanded him to take off his pants. The boy complied, but instead of harming him, Joseph took off running as soon as the boy complied and never physically harmed him. I guess he got nervous or, like, in over his head or something. Or maybe, uh, yeah, or maybe, well, you already said that he wanted to harm someone. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe he did get scared or maybe that was enough. Enough, he yeah, He felt, exactly. like, enough in control. Satisfied. In yeah. That's actually interesting that you say that because we kind of talk about escalation a lot and mm-hmm. how things start off, like, kind of minuscule and then they tend to escalate and get worse and worse every time. Mm-hmm. So after this, Joseph wasn't very satisfied with his performance, and he would actually do this same thing three more times, but changing it, like, a little bit each time. Like, over the course of a few days or, like, a week? Do you know? Um, I don't really know. It was within, yeah, probably a few weeks. Like, yeah. Not, not a long period of time. Yeah. The last time that Joseph would do this, he would actually reenact what happened to him a few years prior when he was sexually assaulted by, remember I told you, the yeah. group of boys? So what did happen to Joseph, according to him was these boys held him at knife point, and one of them bit his penis, essentially. So, at this time, Joseph is now doing this to another young boy. He's holding the boy at knife point and biting his genitals, which is very strange. That is very strange. Um, definitely, definitely sexual abuse, but it's strange to me. Those those boys that did that to him, whether or not that's true, because, again, it was alleged... If they did that, then they clearly saw that somewhere else. Right. And if that 
that didn't happen, then who's to say that Joseph's parents weren't doing that to him, you know, or having someone else do it to him. Right. So although he was experimenting with these very inappropriate acts, Joseph was also super interested in other things, such as the theater. Oh, he's a philanthropist. (laughs) The same year, 1939. So again, he's still 13 at this point, by the way. I I think we said 14, 15 earlier, Mm -hmm. but he's still 13. You said uh, 39, 49. 49. 49. He would receive a lead role in a school play. Oh. A Christmas Carol. Oh. He would be Ebenezer Ebenezer. Scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) Ebenezer. He ended up doing extremely well in the play, and this would actually lead Joseph to developing a love for acting and wanting to pursue it as a career, as well as becoming a playwright. Huh. That's really sweet. That is really sweet. And that's so, like, it's so innocent and humble, you know? endearing. Yeah, it's it's just really sweet. It's really cute. When he expressed his feelings about acting to his parents, however, they didn't encourage him like parents should do. Yeah. But instead, they laughed in his face and told him that it was ridiculous that he liked acting so much. That's sad. That's fucking sad. The fact that he has an actual passion for something other than stabbing people and biting genitals. They're like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You'll never make it. Seriously, I guarantee you they fucking say Never gonna make it. (laughs) What is it? Walk hard? Oh, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. when Kristen Wiig was saying, you're never going to make it, you know, like oh. on the phone. No. She just doesn't want him to make it successfully as a musician because <laughs> she's alone all the time raising all these children, right? That's I fucking love her so much. <laughs> Me too. When Joseph was 15, he met a girl by the name of Hilda Bergman while hanging out at a theater his parents finally allowed him to visit once a week. A what? A theater. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear you. What was that? A theater. His parents absolutely despised the idea of Joseph hanging out with girls, and especially having a girlfriend. Why? Because they wanted to control his life. That's awful. They told him that he was not to hang out with Hilda anymore. Joseph did not listen to his parents, however, and he would continue to hang out with Hilda behind their backs. Good. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> In September of 1951, at the age of 15, Joseph would lose his virginity to Hilda, and the two would continue dating, sex becoming a very big part of their relationship. Yeah. With But, I mean, leaders. they're also t- young teenagers. Yeah, You know, course. I mean, it just kind of, I mean, come on, yeah. you know. But at the same time, don't you think the, the parents doing that probably forced them together more? Oh, yeah, stop absolutely. Stop doing, like, people need to stop doing that, stop right? Stop doing that. If you don't like somebody else's partner, don't talk about it. Yeah. Not only that, but that person's chosen to make that decision for that, you know, for themselves. Now, of course, if they're, like, in a dangerous situation, you should yeah, definitely tell somebody. Unless it's, like, somebody. a 30-year-old dating your 15-year-old. <laughs> no, of course, yeah. Or, of course, like, God forbid, you know, physical violence or any yeah. of that other stuff. I'm just saying if you just don't like them because you just, you know, because they take time away from you as a friend yeah. or whatever it is. That's, exactly. like, the best way to push somebody together. Well, and that's the thing. They don't fucking care about his well-being. They want to control everything he does. If he has a girlfriend, then he might tell her things that they've done to him. Or he that's might true. not be home as often for them to abuse him or exactly. whatever, you know? That's what I'm thinking, is that they're probably just... They don't want him to have her fill his head, quote-unquote, yeah. with a bunch of independence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So this same year, again, he's 15, Joseph would experience what he described as being his mission. Uh-oh. He stated that around this time, God had told him that his mission was to save and heal people through their feet. Like Jesus? I don't know. <laughs> Due to this, quote, epiphany, 
Joseph would conduct over 40,000 experiments with people's feet over the course of the next 11 years. Was he just not into feet? He had to have just been into feet. He's Tarantino. He's Yeah, he's yeah. Tarantino. Yeah, so he thought that he could, yeah, heal, heal people through, like, foot Fetishes. vibes or something? I don't know. <laughs> Fetishes. Still 15, Joseph would move into his own place away from his parents. I don't know how the fuck he was able to. Thank God he was able to get away from them. He probably didn't take anything with him. He probably just left. Just left. Just a bag. Although he wasn't living at home, he would, however, continue to work at his father's shoe shop, seemingly where he was able to begin conducting his experiments. Shoemaker. I mean, the shoemaker. Shoemaker. (laughs) It was at this time as well that Joseph really started hanging out with peers and developing, like, close friends. That's good. He was still dating Hilda, and the two would frequently hang out with friends and play poker. That's cute. Same. Relatable. Around this time as well is when Joseph begins heavily drinking. 15. Again, not super abnormal. Yeah. But heavily drinking is, like, kind of dangerous for... I don't know. Well, yeah, of course it's dangerous. I'm not going to say I didn't do it. (laughs) No, well, I didn't. I was probably smoking weed by then, but... Same. (laughs) With you. (laughs) Do not. (laughs) Don't put that out there. How dare you? Do you want me to delete that? No, it's fine. We're sisters. Yeah, I don't do it anymore. Sisterly bonding. (laughs) So this would continue for the next year and a half or so. Again, the heavy drinking and hanging out with friends and poker. And at age 17, Joseph would drop out of school in order to work full-time at the shoe shop. Which is really lame, because, like, he's probably so close to graduating. Yeah, that's... I was gonna say, because he's, what, 18? 17. 17. Yeah, just stick it out. It's fine. The same year, Joseph and Hilda would quickly get married, and the two... Well, not quickly, because they've been together for a few years. But they would have two children together over the next three years. Okay. So very young parents. Okay. One of these children's names was Michael Callinger. Hilda would leave Joseph in September of 1956, citing domestic abuse as the reason. I'm which sure. Is really a bummer. But again, the cycle of abuse, we always talk about that. Right. Within a year of Hilda leaving him, Joseph would enter a mental institution at the age of 21 <gasps> on September 4th, 1957. Well, I mean, come on. Like, he's clearly needed the help. He had originally gone to the mental institution because of a suspected lesion on his brain. I guess he was having, like, some sort of maybe blackouts or maybe seizure activity or something that maybe they needed to take a further look. Well, he did say that he was already hearing voices. Yeah, exactly. That, too. He's really grumbly. (laughs) You okay? Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) I've been awake a long time today. (laughs) Yes, exactly that, too. It's probably going to keep happening. Do you want some water? Nah, it's I. Nah. It's I. That is me. <laughs> anyway, so he thought that he might have had a lesion on his brain, whether he thought that or maybe he had gotten some sort of outside influence to tell him that. Yeah. But after tests were completed, they revealed only a, quote, psychopathological nervous disorder. Just. Just. Just a psychopathological <laughs> nervous disorder. That's a long-ass just. word. So this is a super 1950s way of saying, like, any generalized mental disorder, like anxiety, depression, OCD, et cetera, things mm-hmm. like that. They didn't really have a term for all those different things, so they right. just said, psychopathological nervous disorder. You'll be fine. Yeah. Just take some rest. Take a nap. Doctors would also state to him that he was probably just dealing with dehydration and loss of appetite oh. due to his recent divorce. Oh, no. <laughs> just need to drink some water. Just drink some water. Well, you've really been going through it, so... It's probably just that. Then you're probably just dehydrated. The voices are just your conscience. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) You just need to drink some water. You'll be fine. That's normal. 
It's not funny, though. It's really actually it's not. shitty. It's really, I'm... We are fortunate to be growing up in a world right now that knows so much about the human brain. That yeah, absolutely. We don't have to do that. Just hydrate. Sleep yeah. on it. Just go ahead. Just take a yeah. bottle of water and call me in the morning. Yeah, yeah, of course. So Joseph would, of course, not receive any ongoing mental health treatment from this point forward, and he would be sent on his way. Joseph would quickly remarry after Ooh. leaving the mental institution on April 20th, 1958. He married the nurse. <laughs> The woman that he married was named Elizabeth Baumgard, Baumgard, and they would have five children together. Okay. So he has seven. Seven total. Okay. Unfortunately, the cycle of abuse would not end with Joseph, but it would get progressively worse. It later came out that Joseph kept a torture chamber of sorts in their home basement in order to punish the children whenever he no. felt an itch in his hand that just told them that they misbehaved, told him they misbehaved. He's like, my hand's itchy. Uh, you probably fucked up somewhere. So that's crazy. Basement. Yeah. This would frequently happen, quote, after midnight and quote, only one of us would be taken down at a time, according to one of his children. Only happen after midnight because that's when dad was drunk. Exactly. Fuck. This basement allegedly was equipped with a kerosene lamp, quote, rope to tie us up with and shoe soles, a rubber hose and a cat of nine tails. So... Why do you need that for discipline? I don't yeah, understand it's that. I mean, I don't think, I don't even believe in spanking. I really don't. It's, people can disagree with me until the cows come home, but that's just me personally. I don't believe in that. Some parents still do it. To me, it's just awful. Why would you need, why would you need utensils? Of course, but, but just, that's what ugh. he's been shown his whole life yeah. is my parents did this to me. It's the same mindset, not trying to point fingers, but a lot of the older generation has that mindset of, I dealt with it. I was able to get through with it. Not abuse necessarily, but whatever they had to deal with as a child, you can deal with it because I dealt with it and I'm just fine. Yeah. But we always say, do what you can do until you know better and then do better. And then do better. Once you know better, then do better. Don't just keep doing it. Right. So for those people that don't know, because I have heard the, ta- the term cat of nine tails, I had to like look it up again just to make sure. It's like a flogger. It has like nine strips at the end. With of leather. leather. Like, yeah. yeah, of leather. And you like use it kind of like a whip. Right. Trusted Health Products makes a variety of incredible products that you can feel good about. Their oral care, skin care, and nutritional products focus on quality first. Trusted Health Products are GMO and additive-free and are 100% pure ingredients that feed and nourish your body to help you look and feel your best. Click the link in the show notes and receive 10% off your first purchase. Trusted Health Products, products that you can feel good about. So, this abuse was... Did you hear that swallow? (laughs) (laughs) This abuse was severe, and not that, again, he didn't have to go through it himself as a child, but it was hoped that the cycle would end with Joseph. But it did not, and he would often threaten to kill one or more of his children (gasps) and would frequently beat them with various objects. Like you said, why do you need utensils? Why do you need to tell your kids you're going to kill them? Yeah. This is really sad. The kids would frequently make the choice to go to bed around 7 or 8 because they knew that they would more than likely be woken up after midnight. So they would go to bed early in order to, like, get enough sleep. That is... That's adaptation. That's really fucked up. Yeah. That your kids have to make that type of a decision. Yeah. (sighs) I know. (sighs) Although the children would later testify about the horrific childhood... They all seemed to collectively agree that Joseph was extremely mentally ill. 
So they knew. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like Albert Fish, too. That kind of reminds me of Albert Fish. That the kids were just like, well, that's daddy. Yeah, you know exactly. So this horrific abuse would go on for nearly 10 years. Joseph being in and out of mental, insti- mental institutions the whole time for amnesia and arson. Two completely different things. Well, there's the fire setting, right? And then yeah. did they talk about, did was there animals on here yet? Not that we know of, okay. but I'm probably sure. so. Yeah. And he's in his 20s at this point. So. Right. Yeah. In 1958, at the age of just 22, Joseph would set fire to his home in order to collect insurance money. What? <laughs> yeah. I, I... Okay. But it seems as though the McDonald triad, if you will, is coming on way later in his situation. He's extremely mentally ill. He probably has the mental capacity of somebody much younger That's because true. of the imbu- abuse he endured. Yeah. So he's probably setting fires at 22 when a- another person might be setting fires at, like, 9 or 10, you know? Right. Do you think that he also had very specific coping techniques like sure. with the stabbing of the photos and the, all that like that that kept these symptoms at bay yeah maybe longer. but he was also looking to collect insurance money like for the most of the fires yeah in fact after this one he was able to collect sixteen hundred dollars from the from the fire didn't get caught or anything like yeah. that you got the conversion on that i actually don't let me look it up so it says about 20 grand maybe a little bit more that's not a lot, though, for a whole house. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was the whole house. I don't think it, like, burned to the ground. I think it was just maybe, like, damaged. <laughs> burned to the ground. <laughs> what is it in uh, the Emperor's New Groove? She's like, tell us where the talking llama is and we'll burn and your house to the ground. What do you mean, and? She's like, okay, okay tell us where the talking llama is. Oh, oh we'll burn your, your house, house to the ground. ground. <laughs> in July of 1959, a 23-year-old Joseph would be admitted back to the psychiatric hospital after a suicide attempt. In this attempt, he had swallowed staples and paper clips. <gasps> like, horrific. Like, that's painful. What the fuck? Yeah. I don't Again, even know where if do you that get would... these ideas. Yeah, I don't even know if that would necessarily end someone's life either. That just sounds really fucking painful. It does sound painful. I think maybe the thought behind it is, like, piercing maybe, like, an internal organ. Yeah. Maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, This would be unsuccessful, and after he was physically healthy again, Joseph would be released yet again without ongoing care. Once more. After he swallowed metal. Mm-hmm. Yep. In August of 1965, at 29 years old, Joseph would set fire to his home once again. Nothing would come of it. No insurance money. No suspicion. He just... Just set it on fire. <laughs> Not the whole thing. Again. October 1967, at 31 years old, Joseph would set yet another fire at home. Again, nothing coming of it. Are his children living in the home, too? Yes. What the fuck? A few years later, on January 23rd, 1972, at the age of 36, Joseph's oldest daughter would run away from home. Can't fucking blame her. Yeah. Sorry. At this point, just to remind everyone, he's still married and terrorizing his family, so his daughter, a preteen at this point, would take it on her, upon herself to leave the house. Mm-hmm. When Joseph found out about this, he brought his daughter back home and burned her on her thigh with a searing hot iron as punishment. For for not wanting to be abused. Yeah, exactly. Like, she left so because fucking she backwards. didn't want to be abused and... Yeah. <sighs> After this incident, three of his children would go to police and report their father for the long years of abuse they had endured at his hands. Joseph would be arrested on January 30th, just a week after he burned his daughter. 
When questioned by the police, both Joseph and his wife stated that the children had run away and they both denied any abuse ha- abuse had taken place. But what about the burn? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's proof right there. Herself. She burned herself yeah. for attention. While in jail awaiting trial, Joseph was given an IQ test, which he scored an 82 on. Okay. Just to put it into perspective, if anyone hasn't heard us say this before, the average is about 100 to 110. Mm-hmm. He would be evaluated by psychiatrists during this time as well, and diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. So they're going to do something about this, right? Because now he has a diagnosis. The state psychiatrist recommended that he be supervised with his family, and he was released. They literally told his family, just supervise him. Just supervise him. And he'll be all Gucci. (laughs) No meds. They're not doctors. (laughs) fucking family's not psychiatrist and the whole reason this is happening is because he's abusing the family (laughs) exactly the children would later recant their allegations (gasps) by the way so who knows what the fuck he did to them to get them to do that yeah god it's awful he would be ultimately found guilty of child abuse however and sentenced to four years probation with mandatory psychiatric psychiatric treatment throughout okay Two years later, although he was sentenced to mandatory psych treatment, it clearly was not being taken care of because Joseph's delusions were beginning to grow. So there's nothing being done. He might be getting, like, regular psych evals, but he's not medicated. He's not being medicated. And somebody that has been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, unfortunately, needs to be medicated to Mm -hmm. fully relieve their symptoms. Of course. It, you know what, let me rephrase. It might be able to be worked out with through talk therapy depending on the severity of it but he's receiving no clearly (laughs) help whatsoever exactly in june of 1974 at 38 years old joseph began hallucinating constantly he was known to hold conversations with a disembodied voice he referred to as charlie and he would frequently say that he would receive divine orders from god very clear very clearly (laughs) very very clear this is actually really interesting because we had just talked about delusional disorder like not that long ago mm-hmm. and it usually presents itself in the early 40s yeah and he's but almost 40 at this oh, that's point interesting yeah yeah the orders from oh not to mention he's had these for a while right but it's getting worse at this mm-hmm. point the orders from god included demanding that joseph murder young boys and sever their genitals meanwhile one of joseph's young sons joey joseph the fourth, Mm -hmm. was at the time checked into a psychiatric hospital as he was experiencing some type of psychosis. (gasps) He would, however, be released in May of 1974 after being evaluated as, quote, seriously disturbed. So it's like a fucking, what is it, genetic? Like, oh, you're you're clearly mentally ill. Goodbye. Yeah. Like, your family can take care of you. It's fine. It's just, as long as they're all housed together. Yeah. (laughs) About a month later, in June... Joseph would bring these orders from God to the attention of his other son, Michael, and enlist his help, essentially. Michael allegedly responded with enthusiasm, saying that he was, quote, glad to do it, Dad. So are they, like... Remember, these delusions are telling him to kill young boys and sever their genitals. Yeah. He presents this to Michael and asks him to help him, and Michael's like, like, sure. Okay, sure. Yes. Eleven days later, Joseph and his young son, Michael, would commit their first heinous crime together. And how old was Michael? He was about 12 at this point. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. On July 7th, <laughs> I accidentally put 2974. He's a vampire. <laughs> 
1974. On July 7th, 1974, Joseph and Michael would murder a 10-year-old boy from Puerto Rico by the name of Jose Calazo. Jose was living in Philadelphia at the time of his murder. And after killing the boy, the two would cut his genitals off, an act Joseph stated God wanted him to do again. About a week later, in early July, Joseph came up with another plan to not only please God, but to make some money in the process. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Joseph had taken his other young son, Joseph IV, to a scenic spot overlooking a cliff with the promise of taking photos of him. Originally, he tried to get Joey to fall off the cliff by telling him to back up while taking photos, but this was unsuccessful. Joey's about, like, 14, 13 or 14 at this time. This is his own kid. Joseph had taken out a $45,000 life insurance policy on his son without his knowledge, so when he did not have success with him falling off the cliff, he decided to go ahead and try again. A few days later, Joseph then attempted to lock young Joey in a burning trailer, but this was unsuccessful as well. Can you imagine being this child... Like, your dad's constantly trying to kill you. Like, it's and it's clear. Like, maybe the cliff thing was, like, a misunderstanding. The trailer thing, no fucking way no, that you don't recognize yeah. that that's on purpose. Three days later, on July 28th, 1974, Joseph enlisted the help of Michael yet again to get the job done. The two together would lure jo- Joey to a demolition site where they ultimately would drown him and dump his body under a pile of rubble, hoping it would be destroyed along with the rocks. I'm speechless. This is ridiculous. I'm out of here. I'm kidding. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Joseph would almost immediately report Joey as missing and try to collect the insurance money. That is your fucking... You named him after you. Are you fucking kidding me? And the brother, too. And the brother. The brother is just like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what... Anything for dad. Yeah. Jesus. The insurance company definitely suspected foul play, so they refused to pay out the life insurance policy to Joseph. (laughs) He did not argue with them by the way. So, it, so he didn't even get the money? Nope. He killed the son for nothing? Nope. I mean, yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> a month later, on August 9th, 1974, Joey's deceased body would be found at the demolition site. This cause of death was unable to be determined, so the insurance company would still refuse to pay Joseph. Yeah. Because they're not going to pay you on a missing person. Once right. the body's found, they're like, that's fucking weird. Like, but I'm not going to just, just pay you. Yeah, exactly. Joseph would later admit to being the perpetrator behind his son's murder. His son, again, that he named Joseph Jr. Fucking ridiculous. Who did he admit that to? Just later. Just Much later, later on, okay. yeah. A couple of months went by with no big crimes by Joseph and Michael, but in December of 1974, they would pick back up on their antics. The two would break into a home in Lindenwood, New Jersey. I'm sorry, it's called Lindenwold. 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 New Jersey, but nobody was home. They stole the items of interest and then decided to hit a second home. In this home lived a woman by herself, and Joseph was known to have sexually assaulted her after they broke in. There was really not any other information about her, but she she would survive. Less than 10 days later, on December 3rd, 1974, the two would break into a home that had four women inside playing bridge together, which is, like, so humble. Like, so, what is, God, what's the word? It's so... There's a word I'm looking for, and I tried to say it earlier, and I couldn't. It's just, like, genuine. (laughs) I don't know what the fucking word is. So, I don't know. (sighs) Okay, we'll think about it. Okay. The two, Joseph and Michael, would subdue the four women and steal nearly $20,000 worth of valuables and cash, 
essentially kidnapping all four women at that time and holding them hostage at gunpoint. After getting the things they wanted, the two would move along to another home, leaving the four women unharmed and another person to victimize. This woman is Pamela J., who lived in Homestead, Maryland. So they're like hopping states and stuff. She was alone when the two men went to her door and knocked, pretending to be salesmen. And be like, bitch, he's 13. Yeah. Like, excuse Selling me. what? <laughs> they were able to forcibly enter the home and hold Pamela at gunpoint. While being held hostage, Pamela was forced to perform sexual acts on Joseph. Ugh. I know. Are you ready for the doozy? Sure. A little over a month later, on January 8th, 1975, Dee Dee Romaine was at her mother's house caring for her grandmother, who was very ill, and her son Robert had come along as well. Dee Dee noticed a man and boy approaching the home around early afternoon, and the two rang the doorbell. Dee Dee would answer the door, and the man in question, Joseph Callinger, told her that he was a salesman named John Hancock. Okay. Like, fucking shut How up. How original. <laughs> Joseph then asked Dee Dee if anybody else was home, giving her an uneasy feeling right off the bat. She told the two that they needed to leave, but just as soon as she did this, Joseph would pull a gun on her, and he and Michael would force their way into the home. So just as a reminder, there's three people in the home, the grandmother, the mo- the granddaughter, and her son. Mm. The noise from the struggle alerted Dee Dee's young son, Robert, who came into the room to see his mother and Joseph struggling. In response to this, Robert began screaming, of course. <laughs> He's young. Joseph, well, anybody would be fucking screaming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Girl. I'm 30 years old. Yeah. I don't scream. <laughs> just lose that ability at some age. <laughs> Joseph would then point the gun at Robert's head, stating, quote, This is a robbery. Do as I say, and no one will get hurt. He then put the gun into his pocket, grabbing a knife to use as a weapon instead. Joseph again asked if there was anybody else in the home, to which Dee Dee replied that just her ill grandmother was in bed upstairs. Michael had done a quick sweep of the home and determined that Dee Dee was, in fact, telling the truth. Joseph then shoved Dee Dee into a vacant room and asked her where he could find scissors, to which Dee Dee responded that she did not know. She didn't live there, you know? Joseph would gag Dee Dee, covering her eyes with tape, and tried forcing her to remove her clothing. When she refused to do so, Joseph forcefully removed her clothing himself and also took off all of her jewelry, which is, like, really fucking scary. That's really scary. He asked Dee Dee if anybody was coming home, to which she nodded yes. He asked her what time they would be arriving, and she held up five fingers. Like, five o'clock or five Mm -hmm. minutes, we don't know. Joseph then bound Dee Dee's ankles and elbows with electrical cords and asked Michael to check to make sure the front door was locked. Joseph would then proceed to undress Robert as well and lay him on the bed next to his tied-up mother. Which is, like, fucking disgusting. Joseph's plan was to sexually assault Dee Dee, However, when he attempted to, he was, quote, disgusted to find out that she was menstruating. Joseph would respond to this by forcefully removing Dee Dee's tampon and throwing it on the floor. Which is, like, heinous as fuck. Yeah. Like, all of this is fucking gross, but that's, like, really bad. I keep saying, this is really bad, this is really bad, but it is. Shortly after this, Dee Dee's sister Randy would arrive at the home. She was surprised when she realized the door was locked, because... She's meeting her sister there. Like, she just got there. Yeah. So she went ahead and rang the doorbell. Randy was attempting to unlock the door herself when the door flung open and Joseph appeared, grabbing Randy and dragging her inside. <gasps> Imagine that. That's fucking terrifying. You open, like, a door to a very familiar home and you see a complete stranger well, on the Well, like, other you're side fumbling with your yeah. keys and the door just opens and it's to someone a stranger. you don't know. Yeah. 
I bet she was like, am I at the wrong fucking house? She probably was. Joseph would put a gun to Randy's head and tell her that he was there to commit a robbery. When he demanded money, all she had to offer him was a $5 bill. Joseph then pushed Randy into the room with naked Dee Dee and Robert, and Randy immediately thought that the two were dead upon entering the room. She began to panic, and Joseph instructed her to check on them if she thought they were dead. They were not. And Joseph then again asked for money, to which Randy told him there was some in the box on the dresser behind him. He ordered Michael to check the box while he forced Randy to undress at gunpoint. And the grandmother is, I'm assuming, she's ill. so ill yeah. that, and older that she probably like she's is bedridden. Just... <sighs> she I might even be, didn't... like, asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. <laughs> no, I, you just, I wonder if she could hear what was going on or, yeah. if, or if she even knew what was going on. Yeah. So, again, Joseph asked Randy to undress at gunpoint. She complied. And Joseph would ask Randy if anyone else was coming home. She replied, quote, lots of people. Damn. She's like, fucking get ready, motherfucker. Yeah. Joseph would then tie Randy up similarly to Dee Dee, rolled her over, and attempted to sexually assault her. When he discovered that Randy was also menstruating, he shouted out, quote, what is this? <laughs> is this some kind of a coup? <laughs> That's actually fucking hilarious, though. Like, fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> a little while later, Edwina Re- Wiseman arrived home to find her front door locked, the owner of the home. Oh. She was with Retta Romaine and her boyfriend, Frank Welby. She leaned forward in order to ring the doorbell, but at the same time, the three were met by Joseph opening the door with a gun drawn. Again, at your own fucking home. At your home. This is your house. He instructed them all inside and to the living room, stating if they all complied, nobody would get hurt. Sure. They always say that. Joseph would remove the jewelry from the women and tied their feet up with Venetian cords from the curtains. They had, like, yeah, yeah cords. He would then bound Frank's hands behind his back with his own belt. I wouldn't let it get that far. I'm sorry. I'm, I think there's fucking six of us. There, Yeah. And two of you. There's three of us. I don't care if you do have a gun. You punch the 13-year-old in the face and you grab the gun. Kick him in the nads. Kick him in the nads. Kick him in the nads. Gouge the eyes and punch the gooch. <laughs> Joseph would then order Michael to bound the women's hands with a cord from a nearby vacuum. And when he did, Michael was able to bind Retta's hands with no problem, but was having some trouble with Edwina's hands for some reason. Mm-hmm. Joseph would tell Michael not to worry about it too much as Ed- Edwina was, quote, too old to be a problem. Let's keep that in mind. (laughs) Yes. Let's keep that in mind. Okay. The two would leave the room to check for more valuables. Again, someone else arrived at the front door and knocked, and Joseph went to answer it. This is like like a fucking fucking house. This is a fucking clown car. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) This time, it was their 21-year-old neighbor, Maria Fashing, at the door. She was coming to check on the grandmother as well. Joseph and Maria engaged in loud conversation before he forced her into the home, similarly to the others. Now, just to keep everyone up to date, there's now eight people in the home, not including Joseph and Michael. Okay. So there's eight victims. Maria was forced into the living room and ordered to lay down. It is thought that Joseph might have thought that Frank was a bigger threat than the women, since he was male, and he would actually gag Frank because of this with a handkerchief before binding tape around his face and attempting to hogtie him as well. Like, he was really concerned with, like, Frank being a problem. Yeah. Frank was barely able to move, but Joseph would force him down to the basement where he took his pants and underwear off and put a knife to his penis. Joseph was noted as saying to Frank, quote, if you move, this goes. Like, you're fucking cool. You're cool. Shut up. 
Shortly after this, Joseph turned his attention to Maria, who he led down to the basement as well. Joseph had actually asked Maria at one point to bite Frank's penis off. She refused. She's like, no. Yeah. And my brother-in-law or whatever. (laughs) Their altercation escalated to the point of Joseph brutally raping Maria, Frank being able to hear the exchange the whole time because she was down in the basement with him. In response to Maria refusing to comply, Joseph would begin stabbing her multiple times Mm. and would ultimately slit her throat from ear to ear, killing her. Oh my god. Again, this poor Frank is just blindfolded and gagged while this is happening. Like I said, I just wouldn't be... I don't think I could let it get that far. Yeah. I would rather probably try to grab the gun or grab him or tackle him or something. I mean, it's a it's a horrid thought because you don't know what you would do in that situation. I don't know what I would do in that situation just because I've never been in it. But it kind of makes me think, like, how many of us can he actually shoot before we can subdue him? And that's him? what I'm saying. You know? Like, I mean... It's, I mean, it's, like, it's much that easier said than done, though. Thought that, you know, put that thought out there. But, of course... In today's society, in America, I had that thought at being at the movie theater with yeah. my kiddo, and I was like, okay, if somebody comes around the corner with this, like, I'm going to do this. Like, or, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, the exit's that way. I would tell him to go that way, and I would, yeah. you know, because I I'm always thinking, know like, my exits everywhere. And I just don't think that I, okay, worst case scenario, he shoots and he kills me, but at least hopefully it gains some kind of rallying yeah. thing, you know, that where everybody else is like, okay, get him now while he's distracted yeah, or whatever, exactly. you know? It's Ugh. it's hard because, again, like, how the fuck do you know what to do in this situation yeah. until you're in it, you know? So during this whole attack, Michael was upstairs watching the other victims. Edwina, the one that he was having a hard time doing her hands, mm-hmm. was actually, of course, able to hear the assault as well as everyone else and clearly recognized that this might have been a murder. So she began fearing the absolute worst, and in response to this, she jumped up and made a run for the front door. She's yeah, like, fuck this, I'm out. Pussy-ass little 13-year-old. Just right. Just punch him and get out of there. But I get her thinking as well, it's like, he just killed her. Who's to say he's not going to try to kill all of us, of like, course. one by one? Yeah. Michael would scream to his father, quote, somebody's loose! <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> To which Joseph and Michael both fled the scene. They just left. Yeah. Wow. So she pretty much saved everybody else's life, honestly. Yeah. Edwina was able to alert the neighbors who phoned police, and they would arrive to find the seven hostages and Maria's body, unfortunately, in the basement. Mm. That's really sad. The two would board a public bus in order to escape, and they would dump their weapons and a bloody shirt along the way to get rid of evidence. Dummies. Police were also able to determine that Joseph Callinger and his son had been in the area around the time of the crimes. I'm not exactly sure how or why, but... Those Callinger kids. Yeah. Callinger boys. They also found out soon about Joseph's history of domestic violence, his other son's unsolved death, and a series of arsons targeted against buildings that he owned. <laughs> like, what an idiot. You have all these, like, breadcrumbs leading yeah. right up to you. <laughs> On January 17th, 1975, just nine days after the final crime, police went to the Callinger home and placed 39-year-old Joseph, 13-year-old Michael, and 11-year-old James under arrest. Why James? They had arrested both young boys at first because they looked very similar, and police weren't entirely sure which one was there. So they I were like, see. fuck it, just take them both. Poor James. <laughs> Poor James. <laughs> they would eventually rule out James and release him and focus their attention on Michael and Joseph. Two months after the arrest, the courts decided that Michael was delinquent but salvageable 
and could not be held responsible for the murder charges due to his age, so they dismissed the murder charges in exchange for him pleading guilty to two counts of robbery. Okay. They're pretty much saying, like, he was under the hypnosis of his dad, or under the, you know, Well, he was also kind of just the lookout, too. He wasn't holding the knife. He would be sentenced to a reformatory and placed on probation until the day of his 25th birthday. Upon his release of the reformatory at the age of 21, Michael changed his name and moved out of the state. Damn. Bye. He's like, fuck my dad. Yeah, maybe he did get some actual help and treatment then. Hopefully so. It might be, like, not fully ado, but... You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might have been. Joseph would be held until his court date, obviously. He was tried in Pennsylvania first in June of 1975, which actually resulted in a hung jury and was just dismissed, like, thrown out. Hmm. In August of 1975, Joe... Same, I say 75 like it's a new year. In August, <laughs> so a couple months later, <laughs> Joseph was given a psychiatric evaluation, again, in which the doctor concluded that he knew right from wrong and was competent to stand trial. Good. Although this was the finding of the doctor, when it came time to try Joseph, he tried to claim that he had another personality by the name of Charlie, Hmm. who was actually responsible for the crimes. Remember this voice that he would talk to? He also claimed that he talked to the Lord every day, and he was told to kill the people he did by God. He would plead insanity at his second trial in September of 75, acting completely out of the ordinary during the hearing. Like... It seemed very apparent to everyone else in the courtroom that he was deliberately trying to make himself seem insane, and as he sat in the trial, his head, quote, bobbed and jerked, then swung in clockwise arcs continually in motion. Like, that doesn't happen. That's not a thing. I mean, he already sounded like he was insane, legally, with with the God telling him to kill children. Yeah. I mean, that's, you don't need to act it. You don't need to, like, seize up or anything. (laughs) He, he was allowed to speak during his trial, in which he stated that he could not remember specific periods of time, but he knew that God communicated with him at some point. He also said that he was the son of God and had existed as a butterfly. He's just, like, pulling anything out of his ass to make <laughs> yeah, himself sound exactly. insane. <laughs> Joseph would be tried on nine felony counts. The jury took less than an hour to deliberate, and they would find Joseph guilty on all counts, sentencing him to 30 to 80 years in prison. The judge was noted as saying that Joseph was a, quote, evil man, utterly vile and depraved. Which is funny because we said depraved in the last episode. (laughs) Joseph would then be convicted in October of 1976, this time in New Jersey, for the murder of Maria Fashing. He would receive a mandatory life sentence following this conviction that would be served consecutively with his sentence from Pennsylvania. He was also later convicted of the murder of Joseph Jr. and the murder of a neighborhood boy as well. (gasps) So, completely random, we didn't even know about. Okay. While in prison, Joseph was known to have frequent violent outbursts, including multiple suicide attempts. In March of 1977, Joseph attempted to kill himself by setting himself on fire, but he was unsuccessful. Oh my god. A month later, he would assault a fellow inmate and then set his block on fire as well. Like, just, just able to access these things. Well, he's clearly not getting the, still not getting the treatment and the help he deserves. Yep. Not deserves, but needs. Needs. Because of his violent and suicidal behavior, Joseph would be moved to a mental hospital in Trenton, New Jersey around this time. A year later, in March of 1978, Joseph would slash a fellow inmate's throat in an unprovoked attack. The victim would survive this attack. 
That's terrifying. I know. Joseph would be moved yet again to another mental hospital in Philadelphia on May 18, 1979. In an interview ten years later, Joseph still expressed his desire to slaughter every person on Earth. All right, fucking, what's his name? Ramirez. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, what we just did. What's the guy's name? We did uh, Elliot Roger. Oh. Oh, <laughs> well, every woman. And Joseph stated that he wanted to commit suicide after he had accomplished this feat and, quote, become a god. He's like, I'm going to kill everyone on Earth, kill myself, and I'm just going to become a god. I'm just going to be a god. I'm just going to do it. Just going to do it. You can't tell me. I just, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, yeah. I'm in my murder era. <laughs> Sorry, that was I'm bad. in my godlike era. At this time, he had been tried and convicted, again, of both his son's murder and the murder of Jose Collas. So I was, sorry, wrong when I said uh, some neighborhood boy earlier. It was Jose Collins okay. that I was talking about. <laughs> I wrote it down weird. It's like, whoa, another one? <laughs> yeah. So because of these convictions, it would actually put two more life sentences on top of what he was already serving. Okay. So there's like, literally no way. Joseph would attempt suicide multiple times throughout these years and would also participate in, quote, religious hunger strikes as well. Due to this behavior, he was transferred to Pennsylvania's Fairview State Hospital for the Criminally Insane in 1990. He would eventually be sent back to the State Correctional Institute at Crescent in the mid-90s. On March 26, 1996, Joseph Callinger suffered a seizure, resulting in him choking on his own vomit and <gasps> ultimately dying from it. Like he, like, aspirated to death. Yeah. <sighs> He had actually spent the last 11 years of his life on Suicide Watch. 11 years? Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's still too good for him. So I have a little bit more, and this is actually really interesting to me. In 1976, an author by the name of Flora Retta Schreiber interviewed Joseph while in prison. The interview was the basis for a book on the case entitled, quote, The Shoemaker, The Anatomy of a Psychotic, of a Psychotic, lol, in 1983. Yeah, it's 83. She's forgiven. No, this was interview was based on a book on the case. She didn't write that. That was written oh, by the other people. So the book would actually later be a part of a Son of Sam lawsuit. What? This law was first published in 1977, and it stated that criminals were not allowed to have any financial gain based off of writing on their crimes. Okay. So apparently that happened with Son of Sam. He got, like, some sort of monetary gain from people writing about what he did. And they were like, we're not going to let him make any money off of his own story because he's yeah. a criminal. The public, lawyers, and authors alike were very upset by this as they said that it went against the First Amendment. I don't know how, but it did. Well, because they're... Like, they're allowed to write about the crimes, but the criminal is not allowed to make, make money, any money off, off of the it. story. Yes. The law would subsequently be struck down in 2002, although there was a revision that was made in 2001. This states that victims of crimes must be notified whenever a person convicted of a crime received $10,000 or more from any source. Yes. The law then attaches a statute of limitations, giving victims an extended period of time to sue the perpetrator of the crime in civil court for their crimes. Okay. I just thought that was super interesting. That is really interesting. The law also authorizes the Crime Victims Board to act on the victim's behalf in some circumstances. So, there was a Son of Sam lawsuit brought by one of the family's victims against Joseph when the law was still in effect, and a judge awarded the family earnings from not only Joseph, but Flora Schreiber and the authors of the Shoemaker book as well, Simon and Schuster. Wow. The lawsuit left Flora and nearly $100,000 in debt due to <gasps> the expenses of the book, the research, uh, including num numerous phone calls excuse me, to Joseph while in prison, totaling $1,200 per month for several years. 
Michael Corda, an editor at Simon & Schuster, the people that wrote the book, stated that for many years, he received Christmas cards from Joseph from jail. Flora stated that she herself grew close with Joseph over the years of interviews, and the two exchanged regular letters and phone calls until Joseph died. So I just thought that was super interesting that, like, he kind of fell into that Son of Sam lawsuit, and then it got, like, you know, abolished before, I mean, now, obviously. But the law was written because Berkowitz had profited? Yeah, I didn't read, like, too much into it, but I'm assuming it has something to do with, obviously, Berkowitz gaining some sort of money from writings about his crimes because yeah. they named it after him. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Well, remember that his lawyers were profiting off of a lot of his stuff, and I wonder if n- not. it's not that. That's probably because what it is. it does seem a little non-David Berkowitz-like to yeah. be profiting off of victims. Because For sure. Because he was very quickly that fog and that, you know, had faded from his, from his brain, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, like, for brevity's sake, I didn't put all of that in there. You can definitely look it up, Son of Sam lawsuit, if you want more details on that, but that's all I put in there. So, fast forwarding a little bit more, in February of 2021, the home where Joseph and Michael would commit their last crime was sold. Hmm. The home had had at least seven different owners since the crime had taken place. Since New Jersey State does not consider any death in the home to be a material fact, it was not required to be disclosed that the murder happened there. The four-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath sold for $587,500 after being on the market for nearly a year. So that's a little tidbit of info that's interesting. interesting. And just to get a little bit more in-depth with Joseph's mental health, some psychiatrists truly believe that Joseph was not faking his mental illness while in court, contrary to what a lot of people tend to believe. Dr. Nathan Roth stated in 1984, quote, even when doing the most outrageous acts, he believed he was doing it because of divine guidance. He's not faking. Like Chapman? Yeah. He had testified as well that Joseph had, quote, a steadily evolving mental disorder from an early age, which we mm. all know to be true. He also commented that Joseph took medication to combat psychosis and also suffered from schizophrenia, which I don't know if that's true, but mm-hmm. he testified, or he commented, excuse me. In other testimony, Ralph David, a clinical psychologist who examined Joseph at a state hospital for a total of over 1,000 hours, agreed with Roth's diagnosis of Joseph's mental state. He stated, quote, I saw him almost daily, adding that Joseph has a, quote, schizophrenia of long duration, probably beginning in early childhood or adolescence, Hmm. end quote. David also testified that around the time of Joseph Jr.'s death, Joseph, or Joseph IV, excuse me, Mm -hmm. Joseph said that he had begun to hear the voice of God telling him to, quote, get rid of Joey. He added, quote, if he couldn't distinguish reality, he couldn't distinguish between right or wrong. Which is kind of a good point. Yeah. I wanted to add this at the end, of course, so that we could discuss his mental health. But clearly these testimonies, like, didn't sway the jury or the judge because we know what he got convicted of. But that actually happened in court. I just wanted to say it at the end. Just pepper it in. But yeah, that is the story. That is a doozy. <laughs> it is a fucking doozy. I don't think I've heard a roller coaster like that since Chase, maybe. Well, not uh, Trenton Chase. Um, who am I thinking of? UK guy. Trenton Chase. Richard Trenton Chase. Richard Trenton Chase. Chase, yeah. Right, yeah, Chase, yeah. yeah. His was very up and down, thinking that the dog was a dead dog or yeah, you know, all that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, hallucinations like that, but he, he also crept into that poor man's home mm-hmm. and, you know, murdered him. And, um, just thinking of the type of mental struggle that must be. Yeah. And it, not being able to differentiate reality and, and 
and hallucination. Yeah, it's it's really shitty. Like, I, that sounds like such a crass way of putting it. Like, oh, it's really shitty. Because, like, it's way more in-depth than that. Yeah. But there was literally, like, no helping him, like, right. after a certain point. Like, that sounds kind of bad. But he just, he never felt love, ever. He only ever felt abandonment and physical pain and sexual abuse and emotional abuse and neglect. Like, that fucking, no fucking wonder he did what he did. Yeah. And honest to God, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Like, it really could have. Like, I'm not trying to diminish what he did because he definitely had, you know, at least three murder victims, a lot of assault victims. Yeah. Edwina's a hero. Yeah, absolutely. She's like, the hero of the story. Yeah. I, God, it's just shitty. I hope that Michael's doing okay, honestly. Like, and James. And James. And his other kids. Yeah, and his other Gosh, kids. But, I can't even imagine. God, it's awful. Like, it's just, it's just a horrible story. And again, I listened to an episode on him from another podcast, and all I really remembered about the story was that him and his son committed crimes together, and his son's a piece of shit, and blah, 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 not to talk negatively about another podcast, but that's why I wanted to do the deep dive, because I'm like, there has to be a reason for all of this. It's not just, oh, him and his son are murderers, or they murdered someone together. They're, you know, they're pieces of shit. No, there is, as we saw, a lot more that went into that story. And I do hope that you know, because we talk about the fact that mental disorders can be hereditary and stuff, and I just, I hope that they were successful in taking care of themselves mentally and yeah. getting the help that they probably need, you know, or needed, because jo- Joseph was such a, I mean, he was an abusive person to yeah. them, so. Yeah, I really would like to think that the abuse cycle stopped with the kiddos. Of course. And I hope that it did. Yeah. But yeah, that's my case. What a case. I know. We what have... A a lot coming up. I have my mental breaky on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then I think what you, I mean, obviously you have a case. Yeah, and then I case. think next week already, we're going to be doing the DAK live, right? We're yeah. We're going to be recording it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, you guys will be, be recording getting, it. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to release, I think we decided on Saturday, right? The, maybe the, the 17th? 17th. Yeah. I think so we said maybe the 17th. Yeah. It looks like we're going to have three cases for the next two well, weeks. Two weeks almost. almost. Yeah. Like three <laughs> cases a week. To next week and then a two case week and then another three case week so mm-hmm. there's gonna be a lot of content coming y'all's way <laughs> a lot of content yeah but thank you guys for listening and sticking with us mm-hmm. if you'd like to donate to the patreon please feel free to join us at patreon.com slash diagnosing a killer again you do get access to if you skip the stuff at the beginning you get access to an additional <laughs> episode ad free all the gore all the content yeah and yeah, pick up some merch. Yes, absolutely. Get some merch. I'm getting paid tomorrow and I'm like dead ass going to buy like a couple shirts. I know. I want stickers. So I'm oh, I want that pillow. That pillow. The pillow. Okay. Well, we All will right. see you guys later. Right. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Bye. Your mental health is super important to us. So we are thrilled to announce that we are sponsored by BetterHelp to support you. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can access a network of over 30,000 licensed therapists with a wide range of specialties and be linked with the perfect match for you. Whether it's via text, chat, or video call, you can talk to your therapist when it's convenient for you. When it comes to your mental health, BetterHelp is a convenient and affordable option for therapy. Get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash D-A-K-P-O-D. That's better H-E-L-P slash D-A-K-P-O-D for 10% off your first month.